When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be of fine flour. He is to pour oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priests shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil, together with all the incense, and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. If you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to consist of fine flour, cakes made without yeast and mixed with oil, or wafers made without yeast and spread with oil. If your grain offering is prepared on a griddle, it is to be made of fine flour mixed with oil and without yeast. This is a method, crumble it and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your grain offering is cooked in a pan, it is to be made of fine flour and oil. Bring the grain offering made of these things to the Lord, present it to the priest who shall take it to the altar. He shall take out the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar as an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. Every grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey in an offering made to the Lord by fire. You may bring them to the Lord as an offering of the first fruits, but they are not to be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out or your grain offerings. Or out of Try that again. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, offer crushed heads of new grain roasted in the fire. Put oil and incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall burn the memorial portion of the crushed grain and the oil together with all the incense as an offering made to the Lord by fire. Well, just like last week, uh, I guess it's a bit odd, isn't it? Uh, the grain offering. But I tell you what, I'm excited. Uh, I really am. I'm excited about the book of Leviticus. Uh, and as I've been preparing this week, uh, I've got more and more excited uh, about the book of Leviticus. You probably think uh, I'm a little bit strange, maybe. But uh, the more I look at it, the more I actually think that Leviticus maybe is one of the most useful books uh, of the Bible for today. Uh, it, it struck me last week after uh, the service last week when I was talking to uh, a few people and I, and I realised that for visual people, Leviticus is fantastic because Leviticus gives us images of the gospel. Uh, 
God gave to these people a whole lot of descriptions of things that they were supposed to do, and those things embodied the gospel. They, they embodied the good news about Jesus, uh, and even though we don't need to do any of those things because Jesus has fulfilled them, still, they stick in our minds uh, and we can think about them, we can reflect about all the different uh, aspects of them, we can carry them with us, and they give us a really great way, I think, uh, of remembering the gospel for ourselves uh, and also uh, of explaining the gospel to others. Uh, so these offerings just give us a, a tremendous picture of our relationship with God and, and, and I hope that this morning again we, we get a sense of that tremendous uh, privilege that we have if we believe in Jesus. Well, uh, it's no surprise, I suppose, that the grain offering revolves around grain uh, and like uh, the burnt offering, it, it has a number of different forms in which it can come. So uh, you, you probably noticed that you could bring uh, just fine flour uh, with a bit of oil and some incense. Or if you wanted to be a little bit more fancy, uh, the flour could be baked. It could be cooked on a griddle pan. That's one of those uh, pans like Jamie Oliver would use to, uh, to cook a steak, you know, with the lines going across it. Uh, so there's a griddle pan, or you can, uh, or you can fry it. Uh, or even if it was um, some of your first, uh, the first part of your crop, you could roast it. So there's all these different ways that, uh, that this grain offering could be brought, but what's the picture? I mean, really, for us, that's the question, isn't it? What, what's the idea behind it? What was God trying to tell these people uh, about relationship with him? Here's what, uh, what one uh, Bible writer uh, what Bible commentator wrote, he says, the cereal offering or the grain offering is a kind of tribute from the faithful worshipper to his divine overlord. Wow, what, what a way to rob this beautiful picture of all its joy. You know, what, what that guy said was true, but it's so dry and arid when this picture here that God gave these people, that God has given to us, is supposed to be full of joy, full of delight, full of richness. What is going on, as no doubt you've probably picked up from the title, what's going on is in this sacrifice is basically that the person is bringing to God a very simple meal. They're bringing it to the temple uh, and they're presenting it to God. Uh, it wasn't just stuff that this person had uh, grown and they just sort of harvested it and, uh, and brought it to the temple. No, they, they prepared it, uh, whether it was milled flour mixed with oil, whether it was baked, whether it was roasted, they brought it uh, as a meal uh, to God. How do we know that it was food? We know that it was food because the priests got to eat some of it. Uh, so they were supposed to eat it. So this, this, uh, this grain that the people were bringing was a kind of meal. It was like a, a loaf of bread. It was a baked loaf of bread. Last, uh, last Sunday evening, I was, uh, I was in Geelong and I visited uh, two friends of mine who just uh, recently got married. They married each other. And uh, just to clarify that, could be two different lots of friends who separately got married. But anyway, so uh, I, I was visiting them and uh, one of the first things I noticed as I walked into the kitchen, was a jar of baked cookies. Not just one jar, in fact, but several jars of biscuits. Uh, and maybe as a single man, I'm more sort of prone to picking up on things like baked biscuits and, and all that kind of stuff. 
But it struck me that, uh, that uh, my friend would be doing uh, a lot of cooking for her husband. And I remember before they got married that, uh, that she was very excited, in fact, about the possibility of, uh, of not just baking but also cooking for her husband. And I think he was kind of pretty excited about that as well. Uh, and in fact, he, he himself was excited about uh, the opportunity to cook and to do things for her. Why is that? Why were they excited about that? They were excited about that because they loved each other and baking biscuits and cooking a meal is a tremendous way of showing love to someone. It's not just something that husbands and wives do for each other, but making a meal is one of the most fundamental ways, isn't it, that we show love for other people. We show love and care for other people. The grain offering, you see, was meant to be that kind of picture. It's a picture, quite frankly, of baking and cooking for God. Now, don't think that I'm being flippant when I say that. I'm not. But one of the central pillars, one of the, one of the great things about the grain offering is its ordinariness. It, one of its great strengths is that it's not some really odd ritual that's, that's way outside the realm of ordinary life. No, it's part of ordinary life. It's on par with baking biscuits or a loaf of bread and bringing it to share with God. It's a way of saying, God, I love you and I want to bring you a gift. I want to share with you some of the things that you've given to me. Again, like the burnt offering, the idea isn't bound up with how skillful you are in your meal preparation, you know, whether it's a sourdough or uh, whether it's a pull-apart or something like that. The idea is that out of love, you bring a gift to God. We see all the different uh, ways that people could bring things. My favourite is, uh, is the flour with, mixed with oil and incense. Uh, because, you know, if you're not very good at cooking, then, well, you know, if you can't bake or grill, you can always bring the fine flour mixed with oil and incense. I, uh, I said that to a friend of mine uh, during the week, uh, and he responded, well, that means that there's, uh, it's good news because there's hope for single people uh, in bringing gifts of love to God. Uh, and, but isn't it true that so often we focus on our skill rather than on this heart of love for God? And that's really the point behind the grain offering well, we don't bring uh, loaves of bread to the temple. Uh, there's no temple anymore since Jesus died. So how do we offer uh, the same gifts of love as, uh, as this offering was intended to show? Well, in Philippians uh, 4, 18, this is what Paul says. He refers to uh, people's financial and practical support of his mission work as a fragrant offering, as an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So there you go. How do I give a gift of uh, love to God? One way is to support missionaries, to support, support their work uh, financially and in other ways. In Hebrews 13, uh, the writer speaks about a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that confess Jesus' name. That is, uh, a person gives God a gift of love by speaking warmly and lovingly about Jesus. Isn't that, uh, isn't that a wonderful thought? That uh, to speak about Jesus in a really positive and loving way to other people is, is the kind of equivalent of baking biscuits for God. 
out of love and out of kindness. The writer of Hebrews also talks about doing good and sharing with others because with such sacrifices God is pleased. So when we do good to others, when we share with people, we bring to God a gift of love. And in Acts 10, Cornelius is a man who's described uh, as giving generously and praying devotedly. Uh, and God says that, his, that those things have come up before him like a memorial uh, sacrifice. These things don't in and of themselves uh, make an offering to God. It's not just the doing of it, but it's the bringing of those things with love, uh, which makes an offering pleasing to God. So the, uh, the core, that's the core idea behind the grain offering. It's the idea of bringing a gift of love to God. Uh, but like with the burnt offering, if you think about what this uh, offering means for long enough, you begin to run into some kind of thorny issues that you need to sort out. Just as with the burnt offering, there's lots of precise regulations, I'm sure you noticed that. Uh, the people didn't get to decide for themselves what God uh, would like and what he wouldn't like. God uh, told them what it was that he liked and what he didn't like. Uh, but even if you got all those things right, even if you did it according to how God said, there were still uh, a number of problems sort of in, built into the ritual itself. Verse 11 and 12 uh, say that the people couldn't include yeast or honey in anything which was burnt on the altar before God. Why couldn't you have yeast and honey uh, in the, in the uh, sacrifice? The idea is, uh, is most probably that yeast uh, and the sugar from, uh, from honey and from other sweet things like that uh, would actually cause the bread to ferment. Uh, and for, uh, fermentation is, is a kind of a decay process. Uh, and so what God is saying is there, there ought not to be any decay in the offering that you, that you bring me. There ought not to be any sort of contamination, I suppose, uh, in the offering that you bring me. In the New Testament, Jesus picks up on that, uh, on that language uh, of yeast and he uh, talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and that's a picture, uh, that's a way of describing the sin and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So the message here uh, in the offering, being without yeast and being without honey, is the message that what you bring to God as a gift of love ought to be free from decay, from, de from contamination. It ought to be free from sin. Another problem is the fact that the offering exists at all. The fact that the offering exists tells us that the gifts of love that these people were bringing to God in their, in their ordinary daily lives, the gifts of generosity and kindness, those gifts were not, in fact, sufficient to please God. No, in their place there had to be something else. There had to be this grain offering. Think too about the symbolism that's built into this offering. You, uh, you decide that you want to bring God a gift. You decide that you want to bake uh, one of these loaves for God. And so you bring it to his palace. The temple was uh, really like God's palace on earth. When you get to uh, the temple, you aren't allowed to, uh, to go into the tent. You can come into the courtyard and instead of actually giving the offering to God himself, you give it to the priest who then... Uh, doesn't really take it to God either, but sort of uh, he takes a little bit and puts it on the fire and 
uh, and so on. So it's kind of a bit like putting a present on the present table at a wedding, you know. There's not really much more of a hollow feeling, is there, than putting all this effort into uh, buying a present for someone uh, and then, you know, turning up at the wedding and, and you can just put it on the table, thanks very much. <laughs> and in a way, that was the picture behind the grain offering, is that these people, they were bringing this gift of love to God, but God said, yes, bring it here, but no further. You, you can't bring it to me, just leave it, just leave it on the table. Why all these obstacles? Why this picture of unsatisfactory love that required an offering? You know, isn't God pleased? You know, if I go out of my way to do something for God, isn't, isn't God pleased with that? Isn't God pleased with my love? In many ways, we have to understand that all of us before God are a bit like the husband uh, who comes home uh, and tells his wife how much he loves her, uh, but at the same time he has an, his arm around another woman that he's brought home with him. The wife isn't going to be particularly impressed, I don't think, with that husband's love. No matter how much he feels inside himself that he really loves his wife, he's holding the hand of another woman. And our problem is exactly the same, that we come to God and we say, God, look, I really feel tremendously that I love you and that I, I want to serve you. But at the same time, we're holding the hands of other gods uh, and other people. Our problem is, isn't it, that we tend to overestimate our love. We think that we're so much more loving than we really are. I was reading this uh, article the other day by a, uh, a Christian counsellor. And he was saying how there was a period in his life where he was basically destroying his entire family through his anger. Uh, and his wife would try and confront him about it. Uh, and he would basically say, you know, 95% of the people in the world would be thankful that they were married to me because I'm just this wonderful, amazing person. He thought that he was this fantastic, loving husband, loving father. And the reality was that he wasn't half as loving as he really thought. And if we can be like that in our relationships with each other, then how much more like that can we be with God? We overestimate our love. We come to God. We come to God saying, Lord, I'm, I love you tremendously, uh, but I just want to bring my other idols with me as well. No, the grain offering reminds us that no matter how much we say that we love God, no matter how much we say that we want to serve God, we always come uh, holding our money, our idols of money, uh, our iPhone, our car, our house, our job, our wife, our kids, our footy team, uh, our next holiday, our last holiday, our success, our reputation, our relaxation or our recreation. We always come holding the hand of some other God which we love just as much. No, in order for our gift uh, of love to be pleasing to God, it needs to be perfect uh, and complete and free from sin. So the, so the grain offering speaks uh, of the sort of depressing failures, I guess, uh, that are present in any gift of love that we might bring directly to God. But the, the grain offering, too, speaks of a tremendous hope uh, and, and promise, I suppose, in this offering. The, the, uh, at the end of the offering, you, uh, you find there, like with the burnt offering, that statement... 
that this thing offered up to God is a pleasing aroma. Uh, it's an aroma which soothes God's anger. Uh, at the end of the message, there's this uh, idea that our love, our gift of love is accepted by God and God may still be pleased with us somehow. How is that possible? How is it that we could bring an inadequate gift and God could still be pleased with us? Well, there's a couple of things that are good to note. The first thing is to note the priest. Uh, if we try and offer our sacrifice of love straight to God, he won't be pleased with us. But in the grain offering, there was a guy who stood between the people and God who presented the offering on their behalf. Second, uh, in the grain offering, I don't know if you noticed, but right at the beginning there, it talks about a portion which is taken out uh, and uh, it's a memorial portion in verse 2. Uh, and that memorial portion uh, is burnt uh, as an offering to God. If it's burnt, uh, if you like, as a reminder. But, but a reminder of what? Uh, has God forgotten something? What's going on? Why, why does God need a reminder? Well, a memorial portion is, is kind of a, a fancy way of saying, uh, on what basis does God accept this offering? Okay, God, I'm, I'm bringing this offering to you. On what basis are you going to accept this? And in a way, you bring it and saying, God, accept this, please, remembering what it was that you promised. And that's where the salt comes in as well. Did you notice the salt, the salt of the covenant? A covenant uh, in, the, in uh, those days is, is basically a, a promise sealed with an oath. And salt was used often to kind of seal the oath, to kind of seal the promise. Uh, that's because salt was... It was virtually indestructible. Uh, time didn't get rid of it. You, if you threw it in the fire, it wouldn't burn. Uh, so salt is kind of like a, a picture of the indestructible nature of the promise that two people were making. And so the salt of the covenant is a picture of the indestructible nature of the promise that God made to the people. God says, make sure you include that salt, that picture of my indestructible promise. Make sure you include that uh, in all your offerings. So we've got the priest and we've got the salt, we've got the memory. How does it all work? Well, let me put it in terms of how it might work, how it works today uh, in terms of Jesus and how Jesus fulfills uh, the picture of the grain offering. Here we are, we, uh, we come to God with our offering of imperfect love. We want to, we want to offer something of ourselves to God. Uh, and yet at the same time, we're aware of the fact that we're bringing some of our other idols with us because our hearts are not totally committed to God. But we bring our offering uh, to our great priest, who is Jesus, who stands before God, who brings uh, our gifts of love. We bring it to Jesus because we know that through Jesus, God will be pleased with our paltry, uh, imperfect gift. Jesus takes it to the Father on our behalf. He presents it there. And as he does so, he, he reminds the Father and he says, Remember what it was that we promised. Remember that we promised that we'd forgive their sins and that we'd remember their wickedness no more. Remember that we promised that we'd cut out their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. Remember that we promised that one day they'd live with us forever in our presence and that 
that they would delight in us and enjoy us and that we would have fellowship together. As Jesus is there presenting our gift of love, he's reminding God of the promises that he's made. And through that and because of that, God is pleased with our imperfect gift of love. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's amazing that we come holding the hands of other idols that we can't get rid of. We bring it to Jesus and Jesus gives it to the Father. And because of God's promises through Christ, God is pleased with us. That's what's so amazing, in fact, about some of those words that we read from the New Testament before about the kinds of offerings that we can bring. What's so amazing is that it says in the same breath, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Pleased. He's not just sort of indifferent or, well, it could be better, but God is actually pleased with our generosity towards others when it's done through Christ. He's pleased with our support of gospel workers when it's done out of love for Christ. These people brought offerings of baked bread to a physical temple because they couldn't please God through what they did. But the Holy Spirit teaches us in the New Testament that through Jesus, we can please God every day of our life when we bring sacrifices of love through Jesus Christ. The grain offering reminds us that through Jesus we can please God. Well, there's one more point about the grain offering that I think is worth making before we finish up. And in some ways I think this is the most exciting of all uh, and the one that gets me uh, so enthusiastic about uh, uh, the grain offering and about what it symbolises. I wonder if you noticed... uh, the difference between this offering and the offering last week. Do you remember what was significant about the burnt offering? What was significant about the burnt offering was that everything was burned up, right? But in the grain offering, only a part of it is burned up. And what happens to the rest of it? The rest of it is given to the priests to eat. And I think that's the most exciting thing in the whole world. Why is that? Is the message of that... God shares with uh, ministers uh, some of the things that people bring to him. Is that the message? Is is the message that God shares with special people uh, some of the gifts that people bring to him? No, that's not the message at all. The key to understanding what's going on with these priests and all this other stuff is again in that salt and that covenant of salt. The the salt was going to remind these people of the promise that God made, the promise that he made way back before all this, all this ritual stuff got set up, and that was in Exodus 19. And you can go home this afternoon, you can read it, and the promise was this, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Just think about that. There's an Israelite guy, or girl, guy in the generic sense, sitting there, he's watching this grain offering day after day after day, watching... People bring this gift of baked bread to God, watching the priests eat it, this holy offering 
that's given to God, watching the priests eat it, and thinking about God's promise, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. They must have realised that somehow, one day, they'd get to share in the love and the gifts that other people brought to God because God shared it with them. Isn't that astounding? Here are people bringing stuff for God and God shares it with the people. I remember when I was young, people would buy boxes of chocolates for my parents and I would be absolutely amazed that they would share them with us as kids. My natural instinct as a child and probably too often still, is just to hang on to that for myself and to eat the whole box myself. But how is this? God shows his rich mercy and love and kindness and unmerited grace that what people bring out of love for him, he gives as a gift and shares with us. I think that's the most astonishing thing in the whole world. And we get that because through Jesus, God's made us priests as well. How does that happen? How does God share stuff with us today? Well, God shares stuff with us today through the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? He shares his love, the love that people bring to him through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, encouraging us, warming us, building us up. Another way that God shares the things that people bring to him is through people sharing with each other. You see that in the early church when people loved and and wanted to serve God, they shared what they had with each other. It's not always just a magical thing that God does. Oh, look, God's shared things with me. Sometimes it happens through the simple practical steps that we do uh, as we share with each other. But, you know, I think the most exciting thing, uh, the most exciting way that God has shared uh, sacrifices with us is how he's shared the sacrifice that Jesus brought. You see, Jesus uh, came uh, with the perfect gift of love. Jesus came uh, with the most amazing gift of love that could ever be brought. He brought it to God. He took it to God. He didn't just take it into the outer courts of a temple. He took it to to the very throne room of God, into the very presence of God, and handed his gift of love to the Father. And in their great mercy, God has shared the benefits of that love and kindness with those who believe in Jesus. Today we're uh, going to celebrate that uh, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we're going to remember that we get to share in the most amazing gift of love to God that's ever been brought. Uh, And we get to remember that that wasn't just a one-off thing that happened uh, 2,000 years ago on the cross, but that we get to share in God's grace grace and mercy to us uh, every day of our lives if we believe in Jesus. So uh, I'm going to pray and then then we're going to do that. We're going to remember God's grace. Uh, and his gifts to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the rich and 
uh, wonderful pictures of the good news about Jesus, which you gave to people uh, three, four thousand years ago. Lord, they are complicating at first, but as we begin to think about them and meditate on them and reflect on them, as we piece them together with the rest of your uh, word to us, Lord, we, we thank you that we can see amazing things. We thank you that we can see Jesus. We thank you that we can see the possibility of a relationship with you through him. Lord, thank you that we can see that even our imperfect gifts of love uh, can please you when we bring them through our great priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'd forgive us for the idols that are still in our hearts, for the things that we love uh, more than you. Father, please forgive us and take those idols out of our hearts so that we love you with every fibre of our being. And Father, please help us to celebrate uh, and to rejoice now as we uh, remember Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Help us to rejoice and celebrate the forgiveness and the life and the good gifts that we have uh, from you through him. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.